Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hey guys, welcome to Red Rum Blonde. I know it feels like it's been 5 billion years since I posted a new episode. It's just been a crazy, perfect storm of things going wrong whenever I try to do anything. I've been working some crazy shifts at work, which has messed up my sleep, which has messed up my writing schedule. My recording schedule is never on a normal schedule and it got even more messed up. I got a new microphone, which is great, but that messed up my levels on recording. (laughs) I recorded this whole episode, but it could not be heard properly. Anyways, here it is. Finally, we're getting to the new episode. As we all know, immigration is a very hot button issue right now and the headlines pretty much every day. The United States government was just in a shutdown not that long ago over a proposed wall to keep immigrants from entering into the country from Mexico. And right before the holidays, families were being detained. Children were separated from their parents. And when those families were being detained, many immigration lawyers came forward to represent them, many of them doing pro bono work. Now, imagine a former immigration lawyer killing people in a racially motivated spree. It seems kind of impossible that someone could resort to that behavior after going into that line of work. 
but this week's subject did such a thing. In April of 2000, a former immigration lawyer killed five people, and he left one person paralyzed in a horrific killing spree. This week, I'll discuss the murderer, Richard Baumhammers. But before I get into that, I do want to welcome the newest members to the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. We have Claire, Dave, Abigail, and then I'm going to butcher your name, so don't get upset with me or tell me how to properly say your name. Sanette, she's from South Africa, which is mind-blowing to me that anyone in another country might listen. And then we also have Sarah from Ireland, which made me think of DNA tests. And I recently got results back from a DNA test that I did, and it confirmed a lot of what I knew would be there, which is Irish, Welsh, a little bit of German, British, no surprises. But I was surprised to find Norwegian, Swedish, and Russian. So yeah, basically, I'm the whitest person out there. I was definitely a little disappointed in the lack of diversity in my DNA. I thought there was Native American on both sides of my family. So either they said if you don't see results that you thought were in your family, that it might not be in the tests that they use, or, you know, maybe that's not in your family. So I have to do some digging and find out. But like I said, not too shocked. The test company did ask if you're willing to let your results be used in research, which I totally agreed to because after hearing all the recent developments in cold cases, I was all for this. Yes, use my DNA if it helps anything. I mean, it would suck to be related to a murderer, but I would totally be willing to help nab somebody with my DNA. Okay, so let's get into this week's episode. Upon doing my research, I discovered that until the very recent Tree of Life shootings, this week's case was the worst racially motivated hate crime in Pennsylvania. I don't recall hearing about it, but at that time, I think I was living in Ohio. So if it made national news, you know, I might have missed it. And when I first began my research, I was really just totally baffled as to how this man could have come to do what he did. So I'm going to go into his background in life and try to give you a sense of what went wrong with him. Then I'll go into the details of that day of his killing spree. Richard Baumhammers was born on May 17, 1965 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And his parents were Lutheran Latvian immigrants named Enis and Andreas. Those two had fled the Soviet takeover of their country. And rounding out the family was Richard's older sister, Dana. The family moved to the wealthy Mount Lebanon area, a suburb of Pittsburgh. So they were doing very well. Both Andreas and his wife were working for the University of Pittsburgh School of Dental Medicine, and they had a very successful practice near the university. And Mount Lebanon is one of those areas that you kind of drive through and just marvel at the size of the houses I've heard that a lot of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh Penguins live there, and I don't doubt it. It's, it's a ritzy place. So after high school, Richard graduated from Kent State University in Ohio, and then he studied at the Cumberland Law School in Birmingham, Alabama. He was well-liked by his classmates, and he performed well in school, finishing in the top third of his class. 
From there, he began a one-year international program at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law, which is near Sacramento, California. There, he received his master's degree and specialized in immigration and international law. And then for a while, he lived in Atlanta, Georgia, where he was a member of the Georgia Bar Association before returning to his hometown of Pittsburgh. Now, this return was not something work-related or probably even a happy return. It was due to some very emotional and bad mental problems that he'd been having. In 1993, he voluntarily admitted himself to a psychiatric ward at least twice. His parents were very concerned, and they had him move back in with them. But Richard had actually been exhibiting signs of instability since his early childhood. One issue that plagued Baumhammers was thinking that he was scarred by the sun. And despite being told by dermatologists that his complexion was fine, he was still obsessed over the thought of it. In that same year, he went on vacation to Europe, but he returned worse for the wear. His father said that while he was in the Ukraine, Richard said he felt euphoric. But by the time he got to Finland, he was convinced he was being followed. He also insisted that the FBI had their house bugged, and he couldn't openly speak to his parents. So instead, he made them go to the basement where they would all converse via pen and paper. Once again, he admitted himself to the hospital for treatment. At Pittsburgh's Western Psychiatric Hospital, Dr. Macheri Keshevin diagnosed him with delusional disorder of the persecutional type. According to Psychology Today, delusions are fixed beliefs that don't change even when the person is presented with conflicting evidence. Like Richard thinking that his face was scarred, despite being told the opposite by dermatologists. The condition becomes a disorder when it continues for a month or longer. And unlike schizophrenia, patients with delusional disorder may appear very normal, as long as an outsider doesn't touch upon their delusional themes. And so there are very different variations of delusional disorder. Richards was specifically persecutory, leading individuals to think they're being cheated on, drugged, mistreated, or being followed. And it's the most frequent type. But even so, it's rare. Only 0.2% of people experience it at some point in their lifetime. And like schizophrenia, those symptoms generally start to appear in early adulthood. The cause is still unknown, but it is thought to be caused as a way to deal with stress or trauma. So maybe him being in law school qualified as something stressful or traumatic, maybe that's a factor. I don't know. This is just me kind of throwing that out there. Therapy does seem to work best for patients as well as antipsychotic medications. And there are some very famous people who suffered from delusional disorder, such as Pink Floyd's Sid Barrett, writer F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife Zelda, and would-be Reagan assassin John Hinckley Jr. Over the next few years, Richard went through around eight psychiatrists, 16 different medications, and four different clinical psychologists. So unlike other people that I've covered on this podcast, I will commend him for trying to get some kind of help. I mean, many people don't seek help 
or they self-medicate. I mean, this whole thing kind of really makes me think about Richard Chase and how he had delusional thoughts about his blood and his bones, and he did not seek any kind of help. In 1997, Richard moved to Riga, Latvia. His grandparents were from that same town, and then in the 1930s, they'd lived just a block away from where he was currently residing. While there, he attempted to regain his family's properties that were lost during the Soviet takeover. Basically, what happened was the Soviet Union took over Latvia as part of the 1939 Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact with Nazi Germany. It was a neutrality pact between those two nations. Part of the agreement were defined borders and rearrangement of territories belonging to each. But to make a long story short, this did not work out. The Soviets invaded part of Germany in 1940, and then Germany invaded the Soviet Union. Parts of this pact were secret and only revealed after World War II. Many other nations did not even know of the agreement between the two superpowers. Time magazine called it the Communazi Pact. However, Baumhammer's claims for his family's properties needed to be filed by the year 1996, so he was a year late. Richard shared his apartment with another American named Dan, and a friend of theirs named Christine really remembers both men. She said Richard was excited to be in Riga, and he wanted to make the most out of being there. Both men were very interested in meeting Latvian women, but Dan was the only successful one, while Richard was described as awkward with women. He was so overly eager to talk to women that it was a running joke who would get stuck talking to him at parties. The only success he seems to have had with any female was the sex worker he hired and took to a hotel. However, he never seemed to display any violent behavior while there. His circle of friends remembers him as odd, but not a problem. He taught various English classes while there, and he even tried to get citizenship. He talked about various entrepreneurial projects, but none of those came to fruition. One of his friends back in the States, a guy named George Narens, did notice that there was a problem with him. The two talked via email, and one day Richard talked about how he was being watched. And when George laughed it off, Richard asked how much they were paying him. George then asked his friend exactly why he thought he was being watched. Richard replied something about traveling a lot to different places. And that's when his friend urged him to get some kind of help. But he did not get help before trouble hit. In 1999, Baumhammers was arrested in Paris, France, for hitting Vivienne Lagarac, a 50-year-old bartender, because she was Jewish. Lagarac said Baumhammers visited Le Loray Litre, a cafe she owned near the city's left bank. He drank two glasses of wine, all the while staring at her and her bartender for about three hours. The next day he returned, and when Le Garoc passed by him, he punched her in the forehead. Luckily, two off-duty plainclothes officers were at the cafe, and they apprehended him. Upon his arrest, he was very open about his mental troubles, leading police to take him to a psychiatric ward before formally charging him. 
and since the injury wasn't severe, it was treated as a minor crime. Baumhammers was released, and he took a plane to Spain. Upon his return to Pittsburgh the next year in 2000, he purchased a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum, and a day after that purchase, all hell broke loose. At about 1.30 in the afternoon, Baumhammers went next door and fatally shot his 63-year-old Jewish neighbor, Anita Nikki Gordon. Now, she had known Richard and his family for over 31 years. Gordon was born in Squirrel Hill, and she'd purchased the home in Mount Lebanon in 1969 after she completed her bachelor's degree in interior design. And that was the same year the Baumhammers moved next door. Her daughters were friends with Richard's sister, and the families were very friendly with each other, so there was no beef between them or any reason for him to be angry or to shoot her. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So this made the death all the more confusing. And sadly, her little dog, Chipper, ran from the house when she was shot, but luckily he was found later. And after a shooting, Anita Gordon, Baumhammers then set fire to her home. Directly after his first murder, Richard Baumhammers drove to the Beth L. Congregation in Scott Township and fired shots into the windows of a synagogue. He then painted two red swastikas on the side of the building and wrote Jew on the shards of glass that remained. The situation could have been much worse, however. The temple housed a nursery school with about 116 preschool children, and about half of those kids were there in an afternoon class when bomb hammers opened fire. The children were in another building, and they didn't know about the gunshots. Not far from the synagogue, Richard then entered the India Grocer, where he fatally shot 31-year-old Anil Thakur. He was there picking up groceries on his lunch hour. The 25-year-old store manager, Sandeep Patel, was shot in the neck. He was paralyzed, 
being confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Anil was originally from India, and he was in the U.S. on a work visa. He was here working as a computer engineer for a place called Widecom, Inc. And his co-worker, Joseph Lanuka, had driven him to the store and just dropped him off with the intention of picking him up 15 minutes later. When he returned to pick him up, he saw groceries all across the sidewalk and he feared that his co-worker had been hurt in a robbery. He ran into the store where he saw Sandeep Patel lying motionless on the floor. By that time, police were there, and the patrolman was sitting beside Anil Thakur. He'd been shot four times. He was conscious, but he couldn't speak. Anil raised a finger to indicate that it was just one shooter, and he shook his head when asked if he knew his attacker. While attempts were made to notify his family in India, Anil's body sat at the morgue. Sandeep Patel was shot twice by bomb hammers, which, like I said before, left him paralyzed from the neck down. He passed away in 2007. After the shooting at the store, bomb hammers then drove to Carnegie, where he shot out the windows at another synagogue. Then he drove to the Robinson Town Center, where he walked into the YFA Chinese restaurant. And there he fatally shot 34-year-old manager, G.E. or Jerry Sun, and 27-year-old cook Theo or Tony Pham in front of all of the customers. Jerry had come to the U.S. from China on a student visa with the dream of playing drums in a symphony. Instead, he ended up working in restaurant management to support his new wife and two stepchildren. His wife, Mei Ling, was of course devastated by his death. They had met at Edinburgh University where he was studying music. And I'd read that he'd worked at the New Dumpling House in Squirrel Hill, a place that I've been many times. When I read that close connection, it really broke my heart even more. Everyone at that place is so kind. Because Jerry was such a good employee, he got the job at YFA Chinese Cuisine. And the couple were saving up to start their own restaurant. Jerry was also helping to pay his stepson's college tuition. Tony was survived by his wife, Bonnie, and their five-year-old son, Chris. Next, Baumhammers drove to Center Township in Beaver County to the C.S. Kim School of Karate. And there, 22-year-old Gary Lee was working out with his friend, George Thomas III. Gary was black and his friend was white. Richard entered pointed the gun at George before deciding to shoot Gary because he was black. Diane Wenzig was sitting in her pizza shop when she heard the gunshots. She saw Baumhammers just calmly walk by at a normal pace, walk towards his Jeep, and try to leave. Diane wrote down his license plate number before heading over to the karate school. When she walked in, she saw Gary Lee in his karate gear on the floor. He stopped breathing as she tried to administer some kind of help to him. But due to her efforts, police now had Baumhammer's plate number and a description. Even though he was only 22, Gary Lee had really big ambitions. He had wanted to become a music producer. 
He grew up in Aliquippa with his mother and sister. Gary was a big guy, well over six feet tall. Many said he looked like a football player. But he was a gentle, quiet guy. While he worked on his plans to become a rap producer, he worked at Giant Eagle Grocery stocking shelves. Gary and George had only recently begun taking the karate class. George was one of Gary's pallbearers at his funeral. John Frattangeli, a patrolman for Aliquippa, was near the Aliquippa Ambridge Bridge when he saw bomb hammers drive by in his Jeep. He followed him without flashing his lights until he could get some kind of backup. When another patrol arrived driven by Sergeant Jim Mann, Frattangeli put on his lights, fully expecting a shootout. Finally, around 3.30 p.m., bomb hammers was pulled over and arrested in Ambridge without incident. Officer Frattangeli said the man was emotionless and he didn't say anything. And there was no doubt in his mind that the killing would have continued. Sergeant Mann, however, had the opposite opinion. When they pulled the jeep over, he thought they might have had the wrong guy. He said his appearance was very neat. He was wearing a seatbelt. But when they looked in the back seat, they found two Molotov cocktails. So obviously this was the right guy. Overall, that killing spree lasted over two hours and went through three different townships. All different kinds of schools had been in lockdown until they heard the word that the shooter was apprehended. Police suspect the killer was headed to Ambridge Synagogue when he was caught. So who knows how much more carnage he would have inflicted had Diane Wenzig not written down his plate number. That one action saved countless lives, and that and the work of those two officers. Richard Baumhammers was charged with five counts of criminal homicide, one attempted homicide, eight counts of ethnic intimidation, three counts of arson, two counts of criminal mischief, reckless endangerment, violation of firearms, aggravated assault, and two counts of institutional vandalism. Search of his home provided some interesting findings, too. There was a document written by Baumhammers which read pretty much like a manifesto. In it, he referred to himself as chairman. The document said Europe and the U.S. were being outnumbered by minorities and immigrants. And he also had a website devoted to ending non-white immigration. It's really weird, in my opinion. I mean, how can you champion the rights of only certain immigrants? I mean, to me, that just doesn't make sense. A judge ruled Baumhammers unfit to stand trial and ordered a 90-day psychiatric evaluation. So three psychiatrists declared that he was unstable. But all three, however, came up with a different diagnosis for him. Paranoid schizophrenic, delusional disorder, and psychiatric thought disorder. On May 9, 2001, a jury found him guilty on all 19 charges. It only took the jury 20 minutes to decide to sentence him to death by lethal injection. But as in most death sentences, this is tied up in appeals. He was scheduled to be executed on March 18, 2010, but Judge Jeffrey A. Manning granted an indefinite stay of execution. Baumhammers has repeatedly tried to get his sentence thrown out, 
citing ineffective representation by his lawyers and misleading testimony by psychiatrists. And that's because of Dr. Michael Wellner. He testified that Baumhammers was suffering from delusional disorder, but he'd been quoted by different newspapers as saying he was schizophrenic. So for now, Baumhammer sits on death row, which has pretty much outraged the victims' families. And I wish I could say that this was an isolated case, but due to the Tree of Life synagogue shootings this past year, there seems to be no end to this hate. And I've heard on the news here that lately in the areas of South Hills and Lawrenceville and Pittsburgh, they've been finding a lot of hateful flyers and graffiti. But I will say that otherwise, after that shooting, the community did come together. I think quite a few synagogues in the area are looking into guards and possible metal detectors. And that's a sad reality. I mean, there shouldn't have to be guards in places of worship, and people shouldn't get shot because of their religion. I just really can't get over a fact that anyone wants a country that isn't diverse, because I think it would be pretty boring. We can discover so many new things from each other. All the different types of people are what I particularly love about this city because I grew up in a predominantly white area and I hated it. It was boring. When I moved here and I saw different types of people on a day-to-day basis, I thought it was great. You have to remember that good and bad people come in all kinds of skin color and that's something you learn if you're honest with yourself. Like I said, I'm still so baffled by a man who was proud to have immigrant parents, but he resorted to killing people that he thought had immigrated here. It doesn't make sense, but, you know, then again, he wasn't mentally well. So that was the case of Richard Baumhammers. I think it's important to do episodes like this one because this type of hate is very alive and real right now. And knowledge is sometimes the only power we have to fight it. So educate yourself and those around you. We can't let this kind of hate win. When that Tree of Life shooting happened, there were t-shirts made here in Pittsburgh that said, Stronger Than Hate. And you can still see a lot of those banners hanging over stores with that saying. It's really cool. And for the scary few that support hate, there's a lot more of us who do not. And we won't stand for it. So do what you can. Keep voting in elections. Keep informed about what's going on. If you see someone being bullied because of their race or religion, stand up for them. You know, Pittsburgh's stronger than hate. America is stronger than hate. And the world is stronger than hate. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's episode. Remember to get your tickets for the True Crime Podcast Festival this July in Chicago. I'm really excited to go. I will be there, of course, representing Red Rum Blonde, and there's going to be a crazy slew of amazing podcasts there. Here's just some of them. Trace Evidence, Canadian True Crime, The Trail Went Cold, Already Gone, Southern Fried True Crime, Criminology, Dark Poutine, All Crime No Cattle, True Crime Fan Club, Corpus Delecti, Men's Rea, Pleasing Terrors, Ignorance Was Bliss, Strictly Homicide, Asian Madness, and Generation Y. That's just to name some. And basically, that's my podcast subscription playlist. I love all of those shows. 
And I'm pretty excited to get to meet all those hosts. And you can too. So go to tcpf2019.com and get your tickets. It's going to be a blast. I'm super excited. We will be missing Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, though. I guess he's not going. He had some kind of dispute with his tickets. Send me your suggestions at redrumblonde.com. And I've been thinking of starting a Patreon, but I have no idea what good perks would be for that. So let me know what you think. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.